So I'll ask the two uh, speakers to come up so that they can start taking your questions. Once again, I'd like you to warmly welcome Kate Nesbitt and Keith McLaughlin. Sorry, and um, just to remind you guys, when you are asking your question, if you can please state your name, just so that the, uh, the speakers know who they're speaking to. As well, if you have a direct question, if you could direct it to just one of the speakers, if your question is more broad or general, then both speakers will answer it, taking their, their turn. And I do ask the speakers, too, to make sure that their answers are succinct, just to allow the many questions that I'm sure are available to, uh, to be given. Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. I have been involved with the uh, SACPA on campus sessions, and it's been a wonderful uh, seven sessions we've had, the little preliminary rounds and semifinals, and now the final was on Tuesday. And uh, these brave students uh, agreed to came, come over to speak to a different audience. There was uh, mostly students at the, fi at the final, which was really good to see, actually. Anyway... Uh, Without further ado, I'd like to ask a question. Presumably, uh, the world is at, where we're at today is presumably has a large, uh, it's a large part because of post-secondary education. And if you agree that uh, we're going down the right path, uh, then I suppose we can just keep on going. But if, if you think need, things need to change, do you agree that uh, the focus on teaching at post-secondary education need to change somewhat? I'll um, start, I guess. I think, um, as Knut talked about it, we are going down a path where we have been successful so far and that um, those that have come out have contributed to our society, but in a world today where different topics have more focus and priority do we need to focus on those specifically and incorporate those into the sort of um, range of topics that are taught at universities. And I know we have talked about before focusing in on sustainability and incorporating that into different aspects. And I think this is a key topic to focus on because we all depend on it and as I've learned, as I've gone through, especially as an environmental science major, I've taken economics courses that are focused on natural resources, and there's different political science courses that you can take to gear towards that. But we need to also recognize that, that this is not the only topic in our world today that is of concern. So we do have to keep our range of topics very broad and make sure that we are, face, are um, looking at all of the concerns that we do face. But it's an important part to incorporate these into a vast expanse. We cannot have only environmental science majors considering the issues that we face. We need economics majors, political science majors, health science majors. We need to make sure that these concerns are incorporated into all of these different subjects. So I think the answer is yes and no. <laughs> I know, sorry. We need to make sure that... We do focus enough because, as you said, this is a critical concern, and we need to make sure that all of our students and all of our communities do realize the extent of this issue. But we need to make sure that we are not focusing solely on one issue because the others will fall by the wayside and only create more problems. 
Well, um, I do believe we are going down the wrong path, as I stated before. Um, I feel that um, we don't need to fundamentally change because we can really just kind of look back. Um, if we look back to the, um, the immediate era following, the, well, the post-war era, let's say, um, academic debates at that point were profound. Academic freedom was at its height, and we had debates, and, and uh, throughout the, especially in the 60s, and then look at the leaps that we made in the 70s um, with the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and, and all sorts of things that happened and all sorts of debates that happened across Canada. It really helped, again, to modernize our society as our economy was modernizing. Now what is happening is that um, we are seeing with the defunding of education on both the federal and provincial levels that uh, more and more education is being funded by corporations. And this corporatizes, of course, research. And just Alberta, this, this past, uh, the budget cycle, took $160 million out of research, um, at academic research, at the professors' and researchers' discretions, and channeled it into um, most of it, not all of it, channeled a lot of it into commercialized technology research. Um, so this restricts academic freedom because you don't get the money to pursue um, academic uh, research that you want to pursue. So I would, I would uh, maintain that we need to properly fund post-secondary institutions as the most successful countries in the world do, according to the United Nations HDNI index, like uh, the, your Sweden's, your, your uh, Norway's, and alike. These are the most healthy societies, the most educated societies, the most peaceful societies. Um, so I would say that, yes, we, 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 if it starts with properly funding it. That way we have... The, academic freedom, uh, accessibility, affordability, more people are open to it. And then more academic freedoms means that we can actually begin to, again to debate without consequences of getting your funding revoked or without having um, the emphasis put on commercialized research. It can be put again back on uh, debate and thought. My name is Van Christou. I'd like to start out by thanking you two, uh, Kate and Keith, for coming today uh, and doing such an admirable job of uh, expressing your opinions about higher education. Uh, if uh, you two are an example of what the University of Lethbridge is turned out, turning out, uh, we can be pretty proud of the university. I was really glad to to see the, the uh, emphasis on people having the ability to think for themselves, creative thinking of individuals. And that's what universities are all about. That's what, uh, that's what academic freedom should bring. Uh, we should have professors from all uh, venues of, of uh, political thought and all fr from all different angles, as well as having students who analyze their thinking and discuss things, as you mentioned in your talks, so capably, in, in order to clarify their own thinking and in order to be able to be, come up with creative thinking that will put us on the right track in the future. I think academic freedom is absolutely essential in a, in a uh, society. And uh, I, um, I don't want to put you people on the spot, but uh, personally, I'll express a personal opinion. I think we're losing a lot of academic freedom uh, in this province. Um, if you have excessive government control over, high, over institutions of higher learning, you're not going to have academic freedom. They'll hire the people who will say yes to whatever they're told at the higher level. 
Minister of Education. Um, my question to you is, do, do you think that, uh, that in your experience as students there, that you've witnessed any limitation of academic freedom at the University of Lethbridge? Well, I'll be honest, as an Albertan, just living here and not just being a student, I, I feel that um, a lot of freedoms are being restricted all across this province. When you go against uh, the government line that's been in power for over 40 years, um, it doesn't matter who you are, you get shut up. Look at our the, look at the Jafella who was the electoral, uh, the chief returning officer of the elections. Speaks out, makes elec elections recommendations, says everything's too partisan. Where does he go? He gets fired. And there's all sorts of issues like that, and this and it, and it permeates throughout all levels of how the government formulates policy in this province. Um, so, and yes, so it does happen at our university. Um, one instance, I guess I could say, um, it, it happens two ways. It does happen from the province, with the, again, with the, how they, where they put their money into what, and how they are um, deprioritizing um, liberal arts educations for more of educations that serve a uh, purpose in the commercial sectors. Um, there's also problems now, I believe, that academics are a bit timid. I can recall a time when I, I worked for the campus newspaper and I was interviewing a psychologist uh, a few months back. Um, and um, we were just doing a general interview about a study that he was up to about depression in university students. And he got onto the topic of antidepressants and he started telling me about how a lot of researchers, and it seemed himself included, thought that the rise of antidepressants, which has risen, the use of antidepressants and prescriptions written for them has risen dramatically over the past 20 years. And he said that, he insinuated that there's a connection between um, corporations who, built, who um, um, manufacture these drugs and then doctors and then marketing campaigns directed generally towards women have convinced, especially women, that they need these antidepressants and that this, the wide spike in depression uh, cases can be a result, can be partly explained by this sort of advertising loop. And then after he was done telling me this wildly fascinating story, he said, don't print any of that, please. I, I don't, I don't want to talk about that. I, uh, it was just kind of something, you know, whatever. Um, we printed it anyways, but, um, uh, well, you know, you, you know the dynamics of an interview. When you're having an interview, you're on the record. So un unfortunately, we did print it. And, but you see, I think that's one thing. Ac academics are a little bit timid. And they're timid. Part of the re that fellow wasn't timid because of uh, the province or anything like that. He was timid of getting phone calls from doctors around town. But um, uh, I think a lot of people and a lot of ac academics are are a little bit scared because if they come out with research that is contrary to, say, the oil sands or tax code or or whatever it's going on that goes against the government line, they could they could see, see retribution. It could affect their whole department. It could affect their students that they care about. So I think, I think again, uh, and I, I think again it roots back to this government. Um, it's, um, there's nothing wrong with being a progressive conservative, but there is something wrong with being arrogant and autocratic and not tolerable of any di uh, dissenting ideas. Um, that's, that's undemocratic. Um, I definitely agree as well. I think our academic freedom is being limited as we move on. Um, as we were talking about the other day, our 
budget cuts right now are to programs that increase perspective and increase student-led organizations that which give us funding to go to conferences and start clubs and start initiative programs. Those are what are being cut and with this we're looking at more funding from corporations and a lot of these corporations do support what the governments are saying or are going towards right now. For example, um, my in my field with science, my friends are in geology and their master's programs are based on the corporations that will fund them. Therefore, the perspective of topics that we're looking at is very narrow because they are looking at what those companies will f and corporations will fund. Therefore, we're going towards the tar sands and we are not increasing that range where we can look and critically think because if we're only looking at those certain views, how can you evaluate and analyze these different issues? So I think that's a major problem right now with academic freedom is that what we are looking at depends on corporations and therefore can heavily rely on what our government wants us to look at. And we definitely need to look at this issue and make sure that we are keeping academic freedom open. My name is James Moore. I think we all are uh, inspired and, and delighted by having you two here to speak to us today. I want to thank you for that. But I also want to present you with a question of a little bit more practical nature, and it addresses uh, the themes of both of your topics. You're looking at a room where we can see um, the preponderant color is gray, or maybe sometimes the absence of gray, but uh, in terms of uh, critical thinking, I'm going to pose the question, but in the idea of creating the community and positive action. Uh, it's not just these two. Uh, Keith Gardner is sitting here. He had a wonderful presentation. There were s six other speakers. And it's not just listening to these students and, and, and SACPA having been part of giving them the forum so they can be listened to. And you know and you've heard they've got something important to say. It's also <clears throat> the fact that uh, SACPA on campus and the speaker series also allows community members like ourselves to mingle with students and have a lot of important side conversations and go a long ways to creating the kind of community that we're talking about that we want to live in. So my question to both of you is um, how are you going to convince the people in this room to go next year to the continuing uh, student speaker challenge and make them feel welcome and tell them that there's actually been bridges built and so on. Well, now an advertising campaign. Um, I think, actually my first, I'm using personal experience a lot, but I'm, my first speaker series here, I met Bev, sorry I've lost you. Thank you. <laughs> and I remember she um, just talked about how great it is to make those connections between the different um, generations. And I think if I value so much sort of what you as a different generation can give to me because history is so important in how we move forward because we need to realize how 
we've changed or how we haven't changed at all. And hopefully we do provide um, some information and knowledge to the other generation as well as what is happening on our level is how we are being educated and what maybe then you guys can look at as to what is different, what's better, what's worse. And you guys have such an important aspect to add to our experience here because from my experience, this is amazing to have this opportunity. And I never guessed the amount of knowledge I would have gained and the connections and just the inspiration to keep going and the different topics now that I have to look at. So I, th I hope that the amount we gain from you and all of your experience, we can now relay to you what is going on in our generation and hopefully you can add even more to what we can learn from the history. And please come. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, I think that goes again to building better communities. Um, we're not as different as everybody seems to think. I don't think we all think differently. I don't think we all value different things. I think at the heart of, of all of us, we all value the same things, more or less. But I think that there is a large disconnect in, in, on both in people's minds across communities, especially in Lethbridge. There's a large student community here. There's a large older population. There's a large working population. And these, these populations kind of see themselves as the other in many times and don't interact at, at, at much at all with the other populations. So I think that the more we interact with each other on all levels, and this goes just not for students and, and the wider community in Lethbridge, uh, it goes for everybody in the community. The more we interact, the more we get to know one each other, the more we understand that we are not that different and that we all value the same sorts of things. And then we become to identify with each other once again and identify with our wider community once again. And then we can be more powerful because we can actually um, oppose something that we all oppose because it conflicts with one of our deepest held values. And I think there's a lot of that going around, especially in this province, in this day and age. So I think that uh, it's important that we all um, get to get out more together and get to talk more together. And so, yeah, coming out next year would be great for that as well. Thank you. Uh, my name is Frances Schultz. We've been, we were talking over at the table here because one of the important issues that you brought up is the development of critical thinking. And we were talking about when we felt we had actually developed our critical thinking skills and it happened not when we were at university but later on in our life. And my question, and, and I know that you that you people are representing a group of the students who have developed critical thinking skills, but you're a small part of the population over there. And I'm wondering if what you think about the, the statement that education is wasted on the young. I guess we're going back and forth. There's a lot of things that are wasted on the young. <laughs> <laughs> Education might be one of them, actually. There's, there's, um, there's a lot of students who come out and when they're 18 and they're not mature enough to do a lot of the things and learn a bunch of the skills that happen. Um, and, you know, that's a problem. But I think if our universities stay... Um, 
stay well funded and the community groups on campus and across them uh, stay well organized and robust and vibrant as they can be, I think you are going to get a lot of students involved and a lot of students thinking, because they have to be shown the way usually. If they live in a bubble, yeah, they're not going to develop these skills and they will develop, they usually would hopefully develop them later in life because uh, I'm not saying that university is the only way you can learn critical thinking. But I think that through interactions with uh, campus groups and making these groups more powerful and making universities um, resourceful enough to attract students to be more, communi be more humanitarian, um, that exposure to diverse groups of people, energized groups of people, and um, just kind of develops empathy, intellectual empathy, and intellectual respect, and intellectual activism, which, which are components of critical thinking. And hopefully then the reason, the research, and the rationale will work its way out through the classroom. But um, yes, and part of the reason is that I think students need to do a better job of engaging their fellow students. We, we don't really engage each other very much. We don't, we don't have enough academic functions that uh, energize enough people. The, the most functions that energize students at our campus are, are beer gardens at the end of each semester. Honestly, I'm not lying. And, and that's too bad. You know, like, why, like, can't you sit on a patio and drink coffee sometime during the week and have these discussions too? And I think they can. But I think uh, they need to be shown the way, and then maybe education wouldn't be one of those things that is so dreadfully wasted upon the youth. Um, I think definitely there are those who come to get that piece of paper to make mom and dad happy because they will keep paying them to live, to provide food, which they use for beer money, you said. But I think, as Keith said, we need to engage our other students for those of us who do realize the value of critical thinking and have had that great experience of gaining that those skills. We need to make sure that we're expanding this group of people that do gain. But I also, I think the average age of a university student is 27. But that's looking to grad school and everything, etc. But I think we need to keep the accessibility open for all age ranges, including the youth, so that they do have this opportunity to come and learn for even if they start out without those skills, as I did as well, hopefully we will gain them. But we need to keep providing that opportunity. And then hopefully as students like us, we can help engage others. But as well, my mom is going back to university right now, and we need to make sure that those that may be able to now. She wasn't able to go to university before, but she is, and we need to make sure that accessibility is open for her there so we aren't just wasting it on the youth solely. And my little brother, I have to admit, is a little immature right now, and he, though, is mature enough that he came, he started, he did a semester, and said, I'm not experienced enough for this, and I'm not ready for this, and I need to go out into the work world, experience different... Um, he's traveling and working, and really get an understanding of what I want to do with this. Even if we don't know the exact focus of our university careers, I think it's really important to want to be there and want to learn and want to make a contribution because that piece of paper is only going to get you so far and it's the experiences and connections and knowledge that you attain during this time is what really is of value in the world. So I think 
though it might be wasted on some, we do need to make sure that it's kept open for all and, as Keith said, engage others as well. Sorry, just really quickly. Um, we only have time for one more question, so of course you do get it, and uh, we'll continue. Thank you. Hi, my name is Al Barnhill, and um, thank you very much for being here today and, and really adding some inspiration and idealism. I, I think that some of us who have been around a while have lost some of that idealism because we're too experienced or maybe too jaundiced, and uh, so thank you very much for your idealism. Having said that, I've also spent a number of years in university, eight and to be precise, and 20-odd years teaching. So I have a lot of familiarity with students. Now, my question, where do you go from here? You talked about knowledge leading to action. What's your action plan? What are you going to be doing in the future to, I mean, there's an endless number of problems and issues and so forth. You don't need to go into it. What is your action plan? What are you going to do in the future? my turn. Um, especially, I graduate this year, so this is the abyss. But for my own experience, I have found my passion of the environment, and I've started the change I want to create. I have an environmental mentoring program where called the Greenhorns, anyone would like to know, but where I feel that there is a huge problem with not communicating the knowledge that we gain to the rest of our communities. And as we said, um, Knut was wondering about focusing on sustainability, and I think it's not only the job of the institutions to do this throughout the range of curriculums, but for us as the those who have attained these skills in order to pass this on to those that have not experienced post-secondary education or um, have not either have not had the ability or are not there yet because it's a problem for our whole world. And so... I think a key component is to educate our youth. And especially with environment topics, people look at it as this huge problem, even I did at first, where you're just overwhelmed. And it can be, as you said, it's, it, I have like high, high hopes, but I also have those frustrating times where you think you'll never change them. But luckily I've had the experience where I do see change, and so we go and talk to these kids, and we have activities in order to get them engaged and knowledgeable about this, and they go tell their families, and their families might have businesses, and they start my, one of them, their family business now recycles, and then everyone in the, that comes to the business sees this recycling program, and it is a chain of reactions that happens, so this is how I'm going to do this, and I'm my job now is I'm working for the Nature Conservancy this summer as the conservation volunteer intern, and that's exactly what I want because I have the knowledge of the environment, and it, hopefully I can attain more and with more education, but I want to use this in order to communicate with others that might not know as much or might not know what to do in order to let them know that they can make a difference. And the simple things we do do, do accumulate. And to show them, especially these events we have on the weekends, you, in a short number of hours, you can see the difference that you make. And we have pictures, and I think that's why um, sort of time series pictures are so strong in order to communicate this to the public, that I want to be a part of this, and I want to be a part of not actually knowing about the problems, but solving them. So, for me, that's what I hope to do. Good <laughs> um, you know, unfettered idealism is a really kind of cute and fluffy thing. Uh, it's like a rabbit. 
like a little bunny rabbit. But rabbits get eaten by wolves. And um, so I'm going I'm to say that unless your idealism is tempered a bit by a bit of cynicism and a bit of realism, um, you're, 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 you're going to have some problems, I think. But having said that, uh, this is the second, second annual speaker challenge. Uh, the woman who won it last year, her name was Trish Silk. And she spoke about the power of diversity. It was a different question. It was about how you can, sh I think it was what can be used to change the world, uh, not much about post-secondary education. But she spoke a lot about diversity. And she is actually working for CETA on diversity issues right now. Uh, the other finalist, his name was Jeff Henry. He talked about media democratization and in the power of independent media. He works, at the editor he works as the editor-in-chief now for the student newspaper. Um, Kate just told you what she is going to do. Um, I was just recently elected the Students' Union uh, Vice President Academic. Um, so what I'm going to do next year is I'm going to stick with this post-secondary thing. Um, and we're going to, and my position would be the chief uh, lobbyist for the, for the Students' Union at the University of Lethbridge to the provincial government. And what actually I plan on doing is uh, engaging the wider community on post-secondary issues because in the last budget, the... Advanced Technology and Tech budget got the biggest cuts, $205 million. Now, I believe the reason why that got cut is because students don't vote. Uh, uh, Post-secondary education is not a political issue in this province, and so it was an easy area for the government to cut. Um, so I want to change that. I want to make sure next year that um, Albertans know why post-secondary education is valuable. Uh, we want to refute the... Provincial pro provinces' arguments for defunding uh, post-secondary education with uh, research, reason, and passion. Make sure that everyone understands that there are economic, social, uh, or economic and social benefits from funding post-secondary education and producing post-secondary graduates. That um, uh, making it affordable uh, reduces the strain on the middle-class families who want to send their children to school but can't do it. Um, so there's many reasons why, and I think. Most Albertans agree post-secondary education is important. And I think most Albertans would be appalled when, if they understood how badly Alberta government has defunded post-secondary education over the last 20 years. We fund it less than the Americans do, which really makes no sense, but they do, according to GDP numbers, relationship to GDP. Um, it's recommended the best spenders spend about 3% of GDP on post-secondary education. Alberta spends something about like one4 so, um, and the Americans spend over two. Anyways, I'm kind of rambling a bit, but that is um, what I'm going to be doing next year. So, thank you. Um, so, yeah, we hope that uh, we can all have discussions about that as well and um, make sure that post secondary education stays valuable to the world. Thanks.